Jesus came to Galilee, announcing God's good news, saying, now was the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and change your lives and trust this good news. The beginning of this scripture is a thrilling moment, one that instantly grips our attention because we know the life and ministry of Jesus is an exciting one. Yet before Jesus came to Galilee to share the good news of God's coming kingdom, we are told something that can be easy to miss, something we can't really skip over in this scripture if we're going to take the life and ministry of Jesus seriously. We're told four words that help to explain what propelled Jesus into his life's work and why sharing this good news was so important. And those four words are, after John was arrested. They're important words we can't skip over because we need to understand before Jesus was turning tables in the temple, before he was speaking out against systems of injustice and engaging in acts of civil disobedience, John was already challenging the established political and religious powers of Israel. He was already pushing against status quos and causing social disruptions. Through his words and actions, John was unsettling people from their places of power and privilege. And John had great success, amassing a large following, and he proved to be so popular that Herod Antipas found it necessary to arrest and execute him because of it. We're never told, but we can only assume Jesus was following John because of the radical things he was saying and doing. Like many who had begun to follow John, Jesus saw what the kingdom of this world was doing to its people. He saw how it was treating them. He didn't have to drive into the inner city to see the impoverished. He saw it was an everyday reality for many. He wasn't kept from seeing the oppressed in his small suburban hometown of Nazareth because the truth is, he was one of them. He saw how those who were working and just trying to survive were being exploited and the way this earthly kingdom was making it, was set up, was making it hard to just live and breathe and have an existence. So when Jesus heard what John was saying and the kind of world he was proclaiming, Jesus chose to follow him. He chose to join this radical movement of resistance with a radical message that was doing radical things. His life and the life of his fellow Jews was at stake. He saw the outlook for his future, their future, 
and he knew he had little to lose and everything to gain. So when John was arrested, Jesus was thrust into this movement of resistance by the space that was created by John's forcible removal from it. And while they had imprisoned John, they couldn't imprison the message that he was sharing, the message that Jesus took up and continued to proclaim that God's kingdom was coming. And during Jesus' time, this kingdom was not about saving souls, but it was about saving human lives. It was not about life after death, but about life in this world. At the time, kingdoms were the most common form of political organization in the world. People knew what they meant and what they would do. But to speak about the kingdom of God was to suggest a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom where God was king and the rulers of the world were not. A world in which the oppressive systems enforced by power and violence were no more. A world in which people were no longer exploited and forced to live in poverty and misery, malnourishment and desperation, and where death ceased to be. This was the kingdom John had been speaking of, rallying people to, and it is the kingdom Jesus continued to proclaim after John was arrested. A kingdom that was about the transformation of life in this world for him and his people and the world itself. It was a kingdom many Jews hoped for and longed for. And like John, Jesus was calling out to people near and far to join this movement, a movement of resistance, to change their hearts and lives, and to hold tightly to the belief of the kingdom in this world as God would have it be. A world where they were no longer oppressed but free, where they were no longer second-class citizens but seen as equals, a world where God's dream of peace and justice was a reality. I think we'd agree the dream of God's kingdom here on earth hasn't yet become a reality. But I think we'd also agree it's a dream that's still being sought today. And if we're listening closely enough, it's a movement Jesus is still calling people to. And like Reggie Harris spoke yesterday to us of a changed moment in his life, I want to share with you a changed moment in mine and how I was called to it. In 2014, about a year and a half after I met my wife, I began classes at Eden Theological Seminary in St. Louis. 
And when I began that year, my first year of seminary, I'd done so about a week following the murder of Michael Brown and the protests that erupted in Ferguson. It was a time of heightened racial tensions, difficult conversations, varying opinions, but a time where it was clearly apparent that some in this city were sick and tired of witnessing what this earthly kingdom was doing to its people. The truth is, before I met my wife, I had never really had a close relationship or a friendship with a black person before. And when I met Akira, not only did I quickly fall in love, but I don't think I really started to understand or notice issues of race until I met her. I mean, we'd go out on dates and I noticed that people would stare at us like we were aliens. We'd take the kids out to eat and as we waited to be seated, they'd ask if we were together because in their eyes, we just weren't supposed to be. I drive about 50 minutes from my home to the northern I drive about 50 minutes to the northern part of the city where she lived. And when I did, I saw the realities of obsolete housing, poverty, and urban decay that just didn't exist near me. I said a lot of dumb things out of white ignorance things she probably should have left me over, but she didn't. And I thank God because we have a beautiful marriage, family with three kids, and a child together because of it. And when I started at seminary that year after we had met, in those first weeks of class, I was being asked to learn about white privilege and white supremacy in the context of the church and doing theology. We were having conversations about race and racism in our classes because the city was blowing up. We were examining how we embodied racialized biases and to look at the ways we were suffering from the blindness of our own whiteness and the ways it undergrids and impacts our faith as followers of Jesus. And I was blown away by what I was reading and learning because no one had ever told me such things existed. And I can remember in those first couple of weeks of seminary, going out to lunch with my now wife, and telling her that I was learning about all these things, things like white supremacy and white privilege, 
And when the words white privilege had left my mouth, I'll never forget the moment she looked right up at me, looked me directly in the eyes and interrupted me and said, thank you. And not a thank you in that I had achieved something or had completed it, but a thank you in that I had finally started to understand something as a white person that I had been blind to, woefully ignorant of, and even unwilling to see and acknowledge at times. And that is the kingdom of this world was not designed or constructed to care for people like her. For the first time, I'd started to understand we experienced life differently. And because of that, she had to walk, act, and think about how she was going to do things differently. I had started to understand we weren't born on the same playing field, nor were we given a chance to have the same opportunities. I had started to understand how much of her life had been narrated and organized through the social structures of whiteness. I had started to understand why I saw the differences between the two sides of the city that existed and that the kingdom of this world wasn't designed to benefit her or her kids but it was designed to benefit people just like me, white people. And as a follower of Jesus, as a human being, it was my responsibility to do something about it. And from the streets of Ferguson and across the city of St. Louis, I heard people chanting and shouting. I saw people rallying and marching. I heard them fist raised and proclaiming, Black Lives Matter. And what I heard in their words were not just the cries of pain and the anger of injustice, but what I heard were the words of Jesus saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and change your lives and trust the good news. I heard Jesus saying, come and follow me because my people need you. They are hurting and suffering and the kingdom of God demands radical action to reclaim their lives or a value in a worldly kingdom that is said otherwise. Jesus said, come and follow me. So I did to the streets I went, of Ferguson and across St. Louis. To the streets I went, proclaiming the reality of a world where black people are no longer fear being pulled over, nor are they shot unjustly in the streets. A world where school-to-prison pipelines no longer exist, and where black people don't make up the largest percentage of the incarcerated. A world where there's no longer wealth gaps between races, where infant mortality rates of black children aren't exceedingly higher than whites, and where your zip code no longer determines the quality of your life. A world where my daughter can wear her hair as proudly as she wishes, and where my eldest son 
won't have to fight for or justify his humanity. And what I saw in those streets is just as Jesus was proclaiming a kingdom where Jewish lives mattered, we in this present time were now proclaiming a kingdom where black lives mattered. And today, if this kingdom of God is coming, if we're going to follow Jesus and share this good news of the way God has justly and rightly ordered this world, we're going to need to give up something. Like Simon and Andrew in this scripture who cast aside their nuts, we need to renounce the spiritual forces of whiteness and reject the evil of its supremacy. Like James and John in the scripture who left their father, we need to leave the spears of our influence and comfort so we can begin the lifelong journey of dismantling racism. The truth is, God's kingdom is disruptive. It's unwelcoming and it's ill-fitting, especially, especially for those whose lives are comfortably ordered. But it does call for a radical reorientation of our lives, a new way of being, one that appropriately speaks to the moment in which we live and is accountable to the oppressed of this world. The kingdom of God was never about a private salvation, but it has always been about a public vocation. And just as Jesus and the disciples had been asking how they were going to live their lives in the shadow of John's arrest and the plight that Jews were experiencing, we too are now being asked, how are we going to live our lives in the daily realities of black and brown suffering? Following Jesus, it isn't a mental exercise, but it involves corresponding action. It involves remembering the work of this kingdom here on earth begins in us and with us. And to see God's kingdom become a reality, we need to commit ourselves to a vision of a very different kind of world. Our voice and presence can make a difference in this world. And because of that, we need to show up differently. And in this moment, we need to be willing to live more prophetically. We need to commit ourselves to the truth and living realities of racism, no matter how uncomfortable or painful it is. And we need to take personal and collective responsibility for the harm whiteness has caused and to work, to heal, and repair the damage it's done. As Ben Boswell says in his book, Confronting Whiteness, before every choice we make, we should be asking, how will this decision impact the lives of black and brown people, God's people? 
It's the same question I believe Jesus was asking and why he so boldly said, now is the time. Because there is no better moment than right now to start proclaiming that God's kingdom is coming, that black lives matter in this world, not in the hope that they will, but because they do. And the kingdoms of this world need to hear that truth. So cast aside your nets and leave your comforts behind, because if we're going to bear witness to the kingdom of God, we must first bear witness to the liberation of its people, God's people. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. The movement for black lives is at hand. So change your hearts and change your lives and trust this good news. Come and follow me because my people need you. Amen. Amen.